and welcome to the Black and White Podcast, where we seek to filter the gray world around us through God's Word with radical grace, raw truth, and real hope. I'm Denise Pass, and this month we have been discussing the role women play in our culture, and we are continuing our discussion with authors Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker as they share on their book, Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women, and they help us to understand the worth of women according to God. And today we have Eric with us. He is a pastor, songwriter, and author whose work has been featured by the Gospel Coalition and elsewhere. He has a BA in Communications and an MDiv from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Eric and his wife, Jenny, have five children and live in Iowa. Welcome back, and thank you for coming on again. Yeah, it's great to be here again. Well, wonderful. Well, last week's discussion just was such an encouragement. The scripture for this episode is taken from John 8, verses 10 through 11. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Oh, it is such a beautiful picture that we see in this passage of the adulterous woman caught in her sin. And even then, Jesus giving her worth and choosing not to condemn her. I have thought about the adulterous woman and the incredible shame she must have felt in that moment and wondered, would we be so gracious if she had sinned against us? Because ultimately, all of our sin is against God. Jesus had the right to condemn her, but he didn't. He just keeps trying to lift our eyes off of our messes onto who we are in Christ, forgiven, loved, people of worth, because of who made us. But so often women can struggle to accept this. We might not be the woman caught in adultery, but we have listened to the lies that have torn down our worth, and we can struggle to accept our true worth in Christ. Some of this comes from tradition, I think. Can you share on women's worth according to Israel's history and law? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think, you know, it's easy for women and probably for men to read through the law, you know, the Mosaic law, and see some of the commands relating to women, uh, the male-only priesthood, um, bride prices, those sorts of things. There's a lot of passages that might make it appear as though God values women uh, less than men or even as some would accuse the Bible of treating women as property. Time to get into all those uh, technicalities there. Um, and even in our book, we didn't have time to cover every tricky passage. Mm -hmm. But I, I think one of the things that stands out in the law of Moses is that in the ancient uh, Near East, uh, in the Mosaic law, women are greatly valued. Uh, the law is written in a way that protects women from being used by men and then just thrown away. Mm. Uh, it guarantees, if the law is obeyed, that they will be uh, taken care of and protected, and their rights will be protected, uh, just like the rights of anyone else. And I think when you read the law through the lens of understanding that it's teaching us not only how to love God with all that we are, but it's teaching us how to love our neighbor as ourself, and you ask the question, how is God loving and protecting women in this passage? It will help us uh, interpret it uh, a lot more accurately. And I think then, too, even looking at Israel's history, um, 
boy, there's so many passages where I think we've misinterpreted them and uh, led to the devaluing of women. And sometimes we just overlook the ways that women are included. I think one of my favorite books is um, the book of Ruth. And I just love uh, Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Ruth is an example of someone who exhibits covenant faithfulness. She professes faith in the Lord. Uh, she goes back with her mother-in-law as a, as a stranger and a foreigner in what could be a hostile place. Mm. And then she takes initiative for leadership and protection and provision in her home, uh, heading out to the field to glean. And, um, and even Naomi, uh, you know, her faith is failing at the beginning of that book. Uh, she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their gods, uh, that the Lord is, has made her life bitter and uh, there's nothing good for her in the future. But when she hears about Boaz, uh, she's the one who sets in motion this plan uh, for uh, Ruth to marry Boaz. And, and as much as she failed in that first chapter, you know, she hears the news of, of her Redeemer and her faith is fanned into flame and the Lord uses her. Uh, to bring these two together, who ultimately are the grandparents of King David and our Savior Jesus. And so uh, what a remarkable way God's used women in Israel's history. Hmm. You know, I'm writing an expositional paper right now on Romans 7, uh, verses 7 through 27, and was struck by how much the law, which was meant to give life, brought death to people who mistreated the law, and men and women wielded the law against women too. The law reveals our need of God and perhaps a need to understand our worth before a holy God because we know we fall short and can live in condemnation despite the fact that Romans 8.1 says there is now no more condemnation. What would you say about the worth of women in the time of Jesus and how women's worth was seen in Jesus's birth, life, his ministry, and in his death and resurrection. Well, it is amazing what we see in the life of Jesus. And first of all, I just want to commend you um, for your studies, writing an expositional paper and studying exposition. Uh, that is a wonderful thing to do, especially to hear of a woman studying that. Um, Praise the Lord. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm loving it. Loving it. <laughs> Yeah, we need, we, all Christians need to study that. How do we expose what's in the text? That is, that is great. Mm. Um, you know, in, in our book, in one of the footnotes, um, and it's a passage I can't cite from right now, but uh, we quote the perspective of many Jewish rabbis um, in Jesus' day and before, which would have probably been the prevailing uh, thought about women. And, you know, you've probably heard the prayer um, that rabbis would say, thank you that I was born a man and not a woman. Mm. And uh, just some of the things they had to say about women uh, were just downright awful. And, you know, one passage uh, that we see is, you know, Jesus with in John 4 with uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, what, what, what happens there is Jesus initiates a theological conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. And I say in the book that almost every word in that sentence is a scandal. Um, Jewish men usually didn't speak to women in public. Um, it would have opened him to the accusation of being flirtatious and could have ruined his reputation. Um, 
you know, in the Old Testament, Isaac and Jacob find their wives at wells. And, uh, you know, one commentator says uh, hanging around a well with a woman um, could give the impression that you're trying to, to pick up a woman, so mm. to speak. Um, he was with a woman. Um, there was a rabbi that said uh, a man should never be alone with a woman uh, in any place, even with his sister or his daughter, because of what other people might think. And Jesus seems to care more about her than he does about ruining his witness. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, she's a Samaritan, um, and he's discussing uh, theological conversation with this forbidden woman. Um, and one rabbi said that uh, a man who speaks, carries on a long conversation with a woman will bring evil upon himself. Wow. And, uh, and it was a waste of time. Uh, it, was, it was better to sell your daughter into prostitution than to teach her the Torah. And so Jesus is just sort of sticking his thumb in the eye of, um, <laughs> of, of these rabbis and this, this perception of women where um, he, he shows her who he is. He treats her like a rational, intelligent human being. And then she becomes uh, one of the first to recognize, at least the first Gentile uh, as, as a Samaritan, at least half Gentile, uh, the first to recognize that he's the Messiah and the first to go back to her community with news that she found the Christ. Uh, you know, she's one of the first missionaries and and that's incredible. That really is. Thank you so much for sharing on that. I, I think women have struggled and felt guilty for any role they've played in the church sometimes. I shouldn't say any role, but some roles that might be construed as being teaching and I know as a worship leader, I often will try to just share scriptures, you know, just something that God has shown me in my time. But sometimes you can feel judgment for that. And, and that's made my heart sad because I, I think there is such a sweet place for women to come alongside uh, and still honor and, and be under authority. You know, um, yeah. I, I loved my role of raising and home educating five children in the Lord and would not trade that time for anything. I wouldn't have chosen. I had people telling me, you should be a career woman. You know? <laughs> and yeah. I was like, no, this is what God has put in my heart. You know, I want to be a mom. Yeah. And, um, and now in this season of life, as I am stepping out in ministry more, it's funny how the same people are coming back saying, you should be at home taking care of your kids. <laughs> I'm like, wait yeah. a minute. Um, but my kids are grown up now, you know. Um, but, you know, discipling our children is a part of fulfilling that commission. And, and now I see so much potential for women to be used to share the gospel through the internet or whatever sphere that God has given them. Um, and there are the extremes of liberal feminine agenda and the legalistic view of women that says women should not speak at all in church. What would you say about the role women are to play in church today? Well, that's a really great question. And uh, as your experience uh, testifies, we will never please everyone. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so we should make it our aim to please the Lord. Um, and, you know, various local churches are going to have different interpretations about uh, the roles of men and women in the church, and those should be worked out in that local community yes. um, under the lordship of Christ, according to their conscience, as they read the word of God and apply it. Mm. Um, I think I think that's the most important thing to say. Um, you know, I, I see uh, Paul 
regularly in his epistles. So as you look at the word, just look for where you see women in the early church and then ask the question, do we see them in our church? And, you know, Paul is often naming women when he is giving his greetings at the end of his letters. And he's saying things like these women were my partners in ministry. And uh, at the very least, um, we should be uh, partnering with women in ministry and recognizing that publicly. Uh, you know, in in Corinthians, uh, in Paul's letter, where he's talking about that, you know, that controversial passage about head coverings. Yes. Uh, what's interesting <laughs> there is he's he's talking about the context is uh, women who are praying and prophesying in the church. And I don't think prophesying is the same thing as preaching. But what strikes me is there are women exercising the gift of prophecy, and they are praying in the assembly uh, of the local church in their meeting, and their voices are being heard. And Paul doesn't say uh, they should stop it. You know, else later in the letter, he says the women should be silent in the churches. Um, and I, I think he's speaking about the context of the eldership uh, weighing the prophecies there. That's how I interpret it. Mm. And people interpret that different ways. But what's interesting is uh, when he says silent, he can't mean their voice is never heard at all because he's just given instructions for how they are to pray and prophesy. And so I'm, I'm a worship leader and an associate pastor. Mm. And one of the things I'm convicted by is I want to make sure that the voice of women, uh, their voices are being heard in our services as well. And so I have uh, worship leaders, vocalists who serve with me, who will read part of the leader's part of our liturgy, of our responsive readings. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would prefer to have women, right now we only have our elders pray, but um, I, think, I think it's certainly appropriate to have women pray in the services. Um, we don't have women preach in our local church, right. uh, but we, we do have for our scripture reading, we rotate between men and women doing the scripture reading. And then for our adult discipleship classes, uh, we, we just, we recognized these classes that I organize. Uh, we haven't had a place where women are trained in how to study the Bible in depth and then teach it to other people. Uh, the only opportunities they had for teaching were like, a devotion at a bridal shower or a baby shower. And so we've started uh, women's classes for um, our, our Sunday school time where we have women who are just teaching through a passage of the Bible so that they can get experience mm. studying the word and expositing it because we think God calls everybody to teach um, each other the, the scripture. Right. One of my greatest joys is uh, traveling and speaking at women's conferences. And and it's not out of a desire to like, oh, I need to be able to <laughs> speak about this. It's this burning in my soul that I want to encourage women in Christ. And, um, and I think there's such a place for that. And I appreciate very much that you're trying to find places for women to be able to share their faith in a way that honors God and um, is biblical. So yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. In your chapter about the worth of women in the 21st century, my heart was grieved reading about the enablement of sinful behaviors of husbands viewing porn or committing adultery who were not held accountable and the wives in those situations expected to be a dutiful wife. So I've been there. 
in the wake of the discovery of my now ex-husband and you know I was one of those who didn't believe in divorce ever and but him being found out to be a pedophile and the church's handling of our situation made my suffering all the more intense sometimes the church is not prepared well to handle these situations so I, you know I'm not angry at the church for that, but I, I knew I had to leave that church uh, because of their handling put my children and I in more danger. And women are often denigrated while the male perpetrator, sometimes he becomes the victim, you know, at least in name. So there's yeah. such a heightened sensitivity to the role of women these days, and we need to avoid extremes. But what does the role and worth of women look like in the 21st century? Wow, there, there's a lot there, and um, I, I think you've hit on something that to me is disturbing and concerning. Um, you know, you mentioned the heightened sensitivity to the role of women these days, and uh, you have someone uh, like Beth Moore uh, who shares that she gave yes. a sermon on Mother's Day, and and she gets raked over the coals on social media for that. And she doesn't want to be a pastor. Uh, as far as I know, she believes only men should be pastors. And, um, and so people might take exception with her practice, but I see the same voices being relatively quiet when people in their own circles are at the center of uh, sexual abuse scandals. And I think women pick up on that, mm. that um, when they're being abused, uh, the same voices aren't as loud as when they're trying to uh, silence the women. And that's just wrong. And, and I do think what you were saying about uh, pornography use and adultery and all that, we see these tragic cases where um, men use the Bible to manipulate their wives into having sex, mm-hmm. saying it's their duty. Um and even where women are told, well, if you'd just be more appealing or if you'd just be more sexually available, uh, then your husband wouldn't do that. that that's nothing different than right. Adam throwing Eve under the bus, saying, this woman who you <laughs> yeah. gave me, you know, it's it's the woman's fault that I sin. And that is that is absolutely inappropriate. And no pastor should ever uh, prop up that belief. Uh, in fact... Um, when, when a man's committing adultery or viewing pornography, um, I make sure that we do not call our pastoral care meetings marriage counseling because it's, they, they don't need marriage counseling. He needs repentance. Mm. And marriage counseling makes it sound like she has something to do with this. And uh, she's a victim of his sin. Um, and, uh, and even, even that stance on, um, not allowing divorce ever, um, I think is just, uh, devalues women. Uh, the marriage covenant is a covenant and covenants can be broken. They can be annulled. And even the Lord says in Jeremiah that he sends Israel away with the certificate of divorce. Uh, we have a divorced God, uh, whose spouse was unfaithful and broke the covenant and wouldn't return. And so, mm. um, I, I, you know, I think our society has come a long ways in terms of valuing women. And it's sad to see, though, uh, in the church and in the world, there's still a really long way to go. 
Yes. Well, you share so much insight and I am so grateful to have you on here today. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share about the worth of women or your book to our listeners? I just want women to know um, that they are valuable um, for who they are uh, as people created in the image of God. And it is a blessing uh, to know that in the gospel, you know, as Christ has been crucified for our sins and raised from the dead, you know, as they trust in him, whatever shameful things they've experienced uh, or whatever sinful things they've done, and they are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And uh, God sees them as his precious daughters. Uh, He's given an an inheritance in his son. He's going to raise them from the dead to reign with him uh, forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so uh, they are not less than, they are essential. And uh, that's what the book Worthy is about. And we hope, uh, you know, we hear from a lot of women who say they wept as they read through it. Uh, because they'd never heard their value explained in that way. Yeah, I just want to encourage women to know that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, as he was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead, as they trust in him, no matter what shameful things they've done or been in, had done to them, or no matter what sinful things they have been guilty of, all of that is wiped away and they are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. I hope it blesses and encourages women. Beautiful. Thank you again so much for being with us today. It has been just an awesome privilege. Yeah, thank you, Denise. It's been wonderful. I've enjoyed it. Leave a comment to be entered to receive a copy of Worthy. You can find Elise and Eric on their respective websites, www.elisefitzpatrick.com and www.emshoemaker.com. The raw truth is that our worth does not change based on opinion. God's definition of us does not change. The radical grace is God gives us a worth we do not deserve and could never earn. And the real hope is When we walk in our identity and worth, which is hidden in Christ, people have an opportunity to see and know Christ. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. 